0: Thanks to Total Wine, you saved more On all the gifts for the ones you adore Wine spirits, beers all nestled on shelves Got some advice from our helpful elves Oh, so, so many gifts to explore When you go, go to Total Wine and More Bottles so delightful, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, whoa Price so amazingly low, 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 low Find what you love, love what you find Always lowest prices at Total Wine and More Delivery available, drink responsibly, B-21 Welcome to your Vibrant Life Podcast. My name is Haley and my mission is to help busy, burnt out individuals increase their energy naturally and discover how good their bodies are designed to feel. If you're struggling with digestion, body image, or fatigue, you're in the right place. On this podcast, I will be providing you with the simple and effective strategies that me and my clients use to feel vibrant every day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now let's get into today's episode. welcome back to your vibrant life podcast i am your host haley and i'm so happy to be here with you today today we're going to be talking about something super nerdy and i love the nerdy side of health and fitness i love the science i love looking at literature i love learning and so this stuff gets me super excited and i'm gonna try and keep it as interesting and palatable and digestible for you as possible because one thing that I find when I listen to podcasts that are relatively in-depth in terms of the concepts when it comes to health or fitness or science, that it can get overwhelming, like some of the big words and long scientific names, that can be very you know hard for us to digest. And sometimes I even find myself kind of tuning out. If you don't completely understand what's going on, it's hard to stay engaged. And so I'm going to do my absolute best to keep you engaged by providing Information that comes in little bite sized pieces and stuff that's actionable that you can, you know, utilize, that you can take home with you, that you can implement into your life. That's what this vibrant life podcast is all about is helping you guys to live a vibrant life, to lead a vibrant life through health and fitness and mindset and recovery and all of the other pillars of health that we integrate at Health Pillars. So today, I want to talk about iron deficiency, because honestly, it can be very ironic, (laughs) terrible science joke. But I want to lead this with or precedent this with this idea that, you know, when we're looking at science, there is information overload. There are so many published papers and so many websites sharing valuable information. But there's also a lot of people out there sharing their opinion, which in my mind, isn't always that necessarily valuable, especially when their opinion is kind of going against the direct science. Now, there are, you know, instances where maybe there is no ill intent and this person who's sharing information. May actually truly believe that they're helping for the greater good, but maybe what they've done is cherry-picked evidence. And the way I see cherry-picking evidence, it's like looking through a very small lens and kind of ignoring what's in the background or or happening around you. And so, cherry-picking evidence is essentially pulling information from studies or paper and then using it to manipulate the results or to manipulate what that study means. And it's not always necessarily true in all situations. Now a really good example of this for me was the documentary Game Changers. And maybe you've seen it. It's on Netflix. It's super convincing. It's about you know the vegan diet. And there's, there's one part of that show that I remember because it gave me such a good laugh. And I want to bring it up in this episode right now before we start talking about iron, because it's kind of funny. It was, it was when they were talking about men's health and veganism and how men who ate a vegan diet actually had stronger, you know, sex drive and they were measuring this by how much blood flow was to the penis while these men were sleeping and this is comical and it's kind of funny to talk about but what they fed the men in this study really explains what happened and this is why it's cherry picking evidence because they gave some of the men vegetarian burritos. Now, lots of times to make, you know, meat that's not meat, Taste good and tastes like meat, they add these flavorings to it. For example, like the smoky flavor, right? And that comes from things called nitrates. So lots of foods will come with nitrates in them. And so they fed these men vegetarian burritos with nitrates. Now nitrates actually improve nitric oxide production, which means more blood flow, which makes a lot of sense when we look at the study versus the men who ate the, I think it was just grass-fed beef in this burrito. And that animal protein didn't have the nitric oxide that the you know nitrate-infused Tofu burrito did. And so, a little bit of an unfair study when we're looking at, oh, you know, which one's better for men's sex drive? Well, that's a completely unfair comparison, like a very great example of cherry picking evidence. Well, from this study, the men that ate the vegetarian burrito had, you know, stronger blood flow to their penis overnight. Okay, hilarious. They also had more nitrates before they went to bed. So, very much cherry picking evidence. And that's something that I wanted to just kind of, you know, talk about today because. I really don't want to share information that's incorrect because I feel like it is a huge disservice. And so I'm just going to be completely vulnerable with you guys and tell you right now that sharing like really nerdy sciencey stuff on my podcast makes me almost uncomfortable because... I've listened to so many podcasts out there that are science-based and I, I kind of feel, you know, that a little bit of imposter syndrome like yes, I do a lot of research and studying and reading for my clients and wanting to understand this stuff on a deeper level, but you know, I'm not the one out there with the PhD and I think sometimes that kind of gets in my way and trips me up when I want to do podcasts like this. So I'm just going to share with you right now that this is me being vulnerable and this is being here to be nerdy and share with you some of my passion. And to talk about something just in an open discussion now, you know, this stuff doesn't need to be taken verbatim. And after you listen to this, please don't go get upset at your doctor. If they've prescribed you iron before in the past, I just want to keep this a very open discussion around the irony of iron and the irony of iron supplementation. So iron deficiency, you guys is one of the most common nutritional deficiencies worldwide. It affects primarily children and women of childbearing age. Now women have this thing called menstruation, which I think we all know about. And that is something that causes us to lose blood every single month. Women who are pregnant who have, who have had children also may be iron deficient. If you've had multiple children, it's actually likely that you're iron deficient. Frequent blood donors, people who donate blood all the time, another you know possible reason that you could be experiencing iron deficiency. And then of course, there's the normal reasons, medical conditions, predisposed genetic dispositions as well. But taking iron when you're in an iron deficit or iron deficiency may not actually be the best strategy to improve your iron levels. And I know that sounds so ass backwards and contradictory, but you know, ironic. I want to say that like five more times because I think it's like just a goofy pun, but we're going to break it down. You guys in today's podcast, I am going to let this inner nerd speak. So let's talk about iron. Iron is an essential component of hundreds of proteins and enzymes And it supports our essential biological functions. Simple things like oxygen transport. Oxygen is crucial for our cells to survive. Without it, they die. Energy production, super important. DNA synthesis, very important for our body. So an essential component of hundreds of proteins and enzymes. These proteins and enzymes are things like cofactors in our phase one liver detox. Synthesis of our thyroid hormone, which is crucial for circulation and for metabolism. Key role in delivering oxygen to our tissues super important for blood sugar regulation and the formation of new blood cells. And just taking a look at this, like we know it's not just these few things that I've mentioned, it's, you know, plays hundreds of roles in the body because it's a component of hundreds of proteins and enzymes. But that aside, let's take a look at the actual, you know, the results of that iron deficiency and what that could could look like for you. The following symptoms are perhaps things that you are experiencing, or you know someone who's anemic that may have experienced this with before they've been treated. So fatigue is a big one. I have definitely had major struggles with iron deficiency. And now that I've learned more about iron and, you know, iron uptake and how the gut plays a huge role in iron uptake, I understand why, because I had a really terrible gut health and I was on antibiotics for years, but fatigue, anxiety, insomnia, and restlessness, muscle weakness, aches and pains, pale skin and poor circulation, Headaches, poor concentration, brain fog, mood changes. Shallow breathing is another one, interestingly enough. Hair loss and brittle nails and constipation. So those are just some, you know, symptoms of iron deficiency. Now, you know, correlation isn't necessarily causation, meaning... That even if you have these symptoms, it's not necessarily because you have low iron, but if you do have low iron, it's likely that you're manifesting at least one, if not more of these symptoms. So what could be contributing to the iron deficiency? I've already mentioned that, you know, if you're a woman of childbearing age, you donate blood frequently, or you have a medical condition, those are, could be some reasons, but some of the other contributing factors that are maybe less obvious would be parasitic infection, regular intense exercise. People who exercise, maybe up to 30% higher intake for those who don't engage in regular intense exercise. So your need for iron is slightly higher. And I believe that has a lot to do with like the microscopic tears in the muscles and the, the need for higher blood volume during power output activities. Celiac disease you know, really affects our guts. And if you've been eating gluten and you have celiac disease and you went undiagnosed for a long time, there could be a lot of damage to the the villi or to the gastrointestinal tract and that causes nutrient malabsorption. And right up there with that category of celiac disease, we see things like inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, ulcerative colitis, and Crohn's. Those are also going to have a negative impact on the uptake of iron. H. pylori bacteria infections, gastric bypass surgery really slows down or limits the uptake of iron. Obesity. And this is interesting. And we're going to talk about this, you know, soon. I'm not quite there yet, but there's this hormone called hepcidin, Uh, hepcidin. I'm not sure if I'm saying that really perfectly, but obesity causes higher levels of this. And this actually prevents the uptake of iron. Inflammatory disorders, trauma, chronic infections, and also vegetarian or plant-based diets are quite commonly contributing to iron deficiency. Now let's touch on that vegetarian one here for a moment, you guys, just because I think it's a question that a lot of us have. If I'm a vegetarian, should I be supplementing with iron? You want to make sure that you have the cofactors for converting iron within the body. It's something that you can look into, but you know, sometimes supplementing with iron can be more harmful than helpful. And we'll get there in a second. So did you ever hear your parents tell you to eat your spinach so you can go grow up and be big and strong like Popeye's? spinach contains a very poorly absorbed form of iron it's called fe2 that requires ascorbic acid which is vitamin c to be converted to the absorbable form of iron which is the fe3 that we find in animal protein now on top of that a lot of vegetables spinach especially is high in something called oxalates and oxalates is an anti-nutrient that actually binds to iron and stops it from being absorbed so it's as little as two percent or less of iron from raw spinach is actually absorbed, considering that the average absorption from meat is around 15 to 35%. Just a little bit of a tip for you guys here, steaming or boiling your spinach actually reduces the oxalate content, not just in spinach, but in all raw vegetables, that can help with iron. So if you're a vegetarian and you're eating a lot of raw veggies, steam or boil them to free up some of that iron and make sure you're supplementing with vitamin C in order to uptake the iron. Now, how do you find out if you're deficient in iron? Well, obviously you're going to notice that you have all those symptoms, you know, hair loss, brittle nails, fatigue, mainly pale skin, being cold, poor circulation, poor concentration. Those are all good symptoms. I guess not good, bad symptoms (laughs) that you might be experiencing. And You'd probably go to your doctor and get a blood test, and they're going to look at some different um, blood tests. They may look at your serum iron, which is measuring the amount of iron in the blood. They may look at transferrin, which is measuring the protein that moves iron throughout the body. They might look at your TIBC, which is your total iron binding capacity, which measures how well the iron catches to transferrin into other proteins in the bloodstream. They're probably also going to look at your hemoglobin. Well, hopefully they're going to look at your hemoglobin as well. Hemoglobin, you guys, is a protein in your red blood cells that carries the oxygen to your body's organs and requires iron. And that oxygen gets transported, that it also transports, sorry, carbon dioxide from your organs and tissues back to your lungs. So, the shallow breathing, you guys, if we have low hemoglobin, this would make a lot of sense because if you don't have enough blood cells that are carrying oxygen to your cells and the carbon dioxide from your cells, we may result in shallow breathing. So, having a low red blood cell count means that you have anemia and that's something that often you will get diagnosed with if you have low iron. Okay. So you have low iron levels and you have low hemoglobin levels. So you have anemia, but it's really important to understand that hemoglobin has multiple different cofactors that contribute to its healthy hemoglobin levels. It's not just iron. You know, there's also in order to form healthy hemoglobin, we need B vitamins, B5, B6, B12, B9, all which are heavily depleted with stress and exercise. Vitamin A is also really crucial for hemoglobin, copper, glycine, which is an amino acid and zinc. So these are all multiple, you know, different factors, contributing factors for healthy hemoglobin. And so if we look at hemoglobin and say, oh, you have anemia, we can't just look at that and then stab iron in the back and say, well, it's iron's fault. We have to look at all of the other cofactors before we start dumping more iron into the body. Don't get me wrong, iron is really important, but in the wrong instances, too much iron can actually be like harmful, right? So, just taking an iron supplement, honestly, this is the worst of all, is when we go, we take an iron supplement and then we're like, shit, my iron levels are still super low. I'm not absorbing the iron that I'm taking. Well, then your doctor might say, that's fine. We'll just put an iron infusion right into your bloodstream. This is a big concern in my brain. I think it's ill advice to take an iron infusion before you've ruled out the other issues. There is a time and place for iron supplementation if you have an iron deficiency, but it's not as simple as I didn't absorb iron through my gut, so I should just inject it. Because your body might intentionally be blocking the uptake of iron. It may also not be in a position to properly convert iron in your body. And so let's talk about some of those situations. So gut permeability, you guys is really, really important in the uptake of iron. Iron has to come from the food that we're eating, but where is it coming into the body? Like everything that you put into your mouth, where does it go? It obviously goes to our gut and it first has to pass through our stomach. And if there isn't enough hydrochloric acid in your stomach, now just kind of like a a ballpark here, about 50% less hydrochloric acid is produced when we're in a stressed state. So if you're eating your iron-rich meat in a stressed state with less hydrochloric acid, the breakdown of your food is inadequate and that can mean malabsorption of nutrients. So first, you know, food's gonna go through, obviously we're gonna chew it, it's gonna go into our stomach, and then it's gonna go into the intestines. Once it gets into the gut, there are these little villi. These villi line the gut wall, we know them as like the brush borders, these little fingers, basically. And these cells that line the gut wall These brush borders are how we actually start to absorb and bring iron into the body. With that, the intestinal epithelial cells, the IECs, these line the surface of the intestinal epithelium, and they play a super important role in the digestion of our food, absorption of nutrients, and protection of the human body from microbial infections, compromising or dampening the wall. So damaging the brush borders, dampening the epithelial cells that line the epithelial wall drastically affects the ability to uptake iron. Now we loop back to that idea of celiac or Crohn's or colitis, where the GI tract, the epithelial cells, brush borders, the the selectively permeable membrane is damaged. Now, when that happens, it actually really negatively impacts, not just the ability to uptake iron, but lots of nutrients. Now, the reason that this conversation around epithelial cells is important because they play a role in the conversion of iron. They actually take ferric iron from the diet and ferric iron is very toxic in our bloodstream. It needs to be converted to ferrous iron. Too much ferric iron in the blood can cause issues when we get high blood levels. And so just throwing in more iron, ferric iron, when your body is not able to properly convert that through the epithelial cell to ferrous iron can be actually quite harmful. Now let's talk about how the body actually regulates iron in the body. And I'm going to tell you guys foods and and other things and other supplements that we can take to help with iron uptake. But let's talk a little bit about why it might not be getting taken up. Why might your body be saying, Hey, I don't want that iron from you and not absorbing it. So hepcidin is a hormone. Okay. And it regulates our iron levels because too much iron is very dangerous for our body and too little iron is also very dangerous and harmful for our body. So our body doesn't really excrete iron. It just very tightly regulates it. So this hepcidin is a hormone that regulates the iron levels. It actually will block the dietary iron absorption. And if you're ingesting an iron supplement, yes, it will block that too. It promotes cellular iron sequestration and reduces iron bioavailability once the body stores are sufficient to meet total requirements. So when our bodies levels of iron are good, we're all Gucci, then this hepcidin hormone will come out and say, hey, you know what? We don't need that iron from that steak that we just ate. Don't bring it up. We don't need it here. It's very important in this regulation, but this hormone is actually increased with infection because during infection, the infected host, so that would be you, requires iron. So iron is required by most infectious Agents to grow and spread, as well as by the infected the host in order to mount an effective immune response. Sufficient iron is critical for the differentiation and proliferation of our killer T cells and the regeneration of reactive oxygen species that are important to kill pathogens. So during infection and inflammation, this hormone synthesis is upregulated, and these iron concentrations are downregulated. The iron concentrations decrease because our body doesn't want to feed the infection. So the infectious agents grow and spread. It's like feeding, you know, like a monster energy drink to these little bugs, right? To the infectious agents, they grow and spread rapidly. They love the iron. They're like, give me that iron energy drink. That's like their, their thing. They love that. And so iron is something that your body is like, Hey, we're sick. We'll take that away from the viruses or the pathogens that they can't spread as quickly. So if you have gut-derived inflammation, if you have a low-level systemic inflammation, then that is going to naturally downregulate your iron absorption through the hormone hepcidin. Now, a lot of women who come see me who complain about irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, bloating, they also struggle with anemia they also struggle with low iron levels because their body because of the low level inflammation is it's causing them not to uptake that iron now inflammation you guys inflammatory proteins are also going to be produced in cases like training strength training so if you're overtraining then we're going to be depressing the uptake of iron it can also come from the die off beneficial or harmful bacteria even So these little bacterial fragments, the cell wall of the bacteria, it's called a lipopolysaccharide. As these things die off, the lipopolysaccharide is one of the most inflammatory compounds. And it's even worse if we have poor gut permeability because these little lipopolysaccharides get into our bloodstream and they increase the amount of inflammatory proteins, which is going to increase hepcidin, which is going to block the absorption of iron. Another situation this happens in is obesity. So being overweight is naturally going to suppress your iron absorption, being inflamed, having poor gut health, being on antibiotics that kill off the die off of bacteria, the bacterial fragments, the cells of those bacteria getting into your bloodstream is going to cause inflammation and these inflammatory proteins. And so really important to understand that just because you're iron deficient, it doesn't mean that throwing in more iron is going to fix the problem because your body is smart it is not going to uptake that iron if you're under infection or if it thinks you're under attack or if you're overweight. And so your body, even if it needs iron and it's low and it's iron deficient, it's number one rule is survival. And so if it thinks it's under attack, you know, if it thinks it's under attack from pathogens, poor gut health, poor gut permeability, it's not going to be wanting to thrive. It's just going to go into survival mode. So really, really important to understand this concept and. Your body really needs iron to survive. And a lot of our iron, you guys, comes through heme iron. And that comes from mainly through the the blood, the hemoglobin and myoglobin in animals, meat, protein, like meat, poultry, fish. And although heme iron accounts for only about 10 to 15% of the iron found in the diet, it actually provides about one third of total absorbed dietary iron. Your absorption of heme iron is less influenced by other dietary factors than the non-heme iron, because non-heme iron can be blocked or inhibited by other nutrients. So heme iron is going to represent a very large portion, about up to 30, sometimes higher, up to 30 to 40% of your total absorbed iron. Now, if you're a vegetarian, your iron is coming from non-heme iron. Plants, dairy products, and iron salts added to foods and supplements are all sources of that non-heme iron. Now we need the vitamin C- to enhance the absorption and to reduce the ferric to the ferrous iron which we talked about before we really need that conversion to happen and it's really important as well that that conversion happens in healthy epithelial cells to form an absorbable iron ascorbic acid complex and so vitamin C isn't the only thing other organic acids are helpful too citric malic tartaric acid lactic acids will have some enhancing effects on non-heme iron absorption as well and This is kind of funny because if you're a vegetarian, you're not going to eat meat, poultry, or fish. But aside from providing highly absorbable heme iron, meat, fish, and poultry also enhance non heme iron absorption. So the meat eater is not only enhancing the iron absorption from their plant based sources, they're also getting it from the animal protein. So they're kind of like, they're kind of killing it in that front. And that's why the vegetarians are almost always deficient. Now, of course, if you are a vegetarian, especially if you're a vegetarian and you're female, and even more so if you're a female vegetarian athlete, be important to take a look at your hemoglobin and your different levels of of iron in the body. You can get all kinds of tests done, but the number one thing to do is make sure that you have a healthy gut wall, even more important, again, as a vegetarian to make sure that you have good gut permeability, healthy epithelial cells to support the conversion of iron in the gut. Now we have inhibitors of non-heme iron absorption. Those include phytates, which come in legumes, whole grains, nuts, and seeds. Small amounts of phytic acid can reduce non-heme iron absorption by up to 50%, which is pretty crazy. And the absorption of iron from things that sources on the internet tell us are good sources of iron, like lots of times you'll Google iron foods and they'll say lentils or black beans, shown as low as 2%, which is pretty low. Soaking, germination, fermentation, and cooking can help to remove or degrade phytic acid, which will help with the uptake. There's also polyphenolic compounds, coffee, black tea, chocolate. These compounds will actually affect your absorption of non-heme iron. It may mm-hmm. because of the presence of a vitamin C, but anyways, polyphenolic compounds. Soy protein does have an inhibitory effect on iron absorption. So again, vegetarians, sorry, but if you're eating soy protein and mm-hmm. you're not eating animal proteins, this could be a big one for you because a lot of vegetarians have quite a high amount of soy in their diet. And lastly, calcium does affect iron absorption from both heme and non-heme sources, but that's not something that I'm necessarily going to chase around today. So what can you do to naturally increase your iron levels? Number one, if you have poor digestion, acid reflux, it's actually likely you have not enough stomach acid because the food isn't being digested and it's coming back up. So hydrochloric acid, be great especially if you take it with meat products that will help with absorbing the iron supplementing with vitamin c to help naturally enhance the absorption of plant-based iron and then if you are having animal proteins combine them with your plant proteins because that's going to help as well eating more things like grass-fed beef poultry and seafood spirulina is also a good source and avoiding tea or coffee with your meals now Naturally increasing iron levels with some supplements, we need vitamin A. Vitamin A deficiency often coexists with iron deficiency, and it may actually exacerbate anemia because it alters iron metabolism. And it's really important for iron metabolism in the body. Copper. Copper is another one that if you have a deficiency in copper, that can have a negative impact on normal iron metabolism and red blood cell formation zinc is essential to maintain adequate levels of iron as well when zinc deficiency coexists with iron deficiency it may actually make the anemia worse calcium so this is kind of multivitamin beware the presence of calcium decreases iron absorption so i just went to through 3 that will help vitamin c vitamin a zinc and copper but then calcium may actually inhibit calcium absorption both from the animal and the plant or the non-heme and the heme sources. So I don't love, love multivitamins because they come along with kind of like weird ratios of different nutrients in them. And if you're combining your calcium with some of these other nutrients and sometimes zinc combined to nutrients too, I just like to find a very natural whole foods approach. And sometimes taking like a mineral supplement or a micronutrient supplement can be beneficial things that have like your, your zinc, your copper, your selenium in now in there to help with the absorption and formation of these important factors in the body. So if you are taking an iron supplement, you guys, it's good to practice taking your iron supplements away from your meals, as well as your other vitamins and minerals for the most part. Now, if you are taking iron and you're panicking and you're like, Oh my God, my doctor, no my Naturopath told me to take iron. Don't panic. If you have been to see a naturopath, it's likely that they did their due diligence and testing. Your blood levels and, and isolating the anemia and determining that it was truly related to an iron deficiency and not to bore, poor gut health or infection. But in terms of this idea of iron overload, you guys, your body is, is pretty safe. It's not going to uptake too much iron because of the, the hormone that prevents the uptake of iron. When we have enough in the body, right? So your body is really, really good at regulating it unless you have some kind of like predisposed genetic issue or there's you know something else going on within the body that's affecting that right and there are things that can definitely affect that so the hepcidin that hormone that's regulating your iron if you're taking some iron and you're just not absorbing it very well your body is it doesn't want to absorb it because it cannot access iron very well and then we can get iron toxicity but iron overload due to prolonged iron supplementation is actually quite rare in healthy individuals now Obviously, if we're looking at individuals who have damaged gut permeability or, you know, genetic predispositions, that's another story. And so that is a story that, you know, we'd want to make sure that we're talking to a trusted healthcare practitioner about. Just as a reminder, nothing in these podcasts is meant to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure and is for information and educational purposes only. So I hope this was helpful for you guys. And I love nerding out. I love being here and I love sharing with you guys. I hope this was helpful. If it was, shoot me a message on Instagram and just say the irony because that would make me laugh. And I hope you guys are having an amazing day. Thank you for being here. Thank you for nerding out with me. And I hope you have an incredibly wonderful rest of your day. Peace, love, and protein. And we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to Your Vibrant Life podcast. I had so much fun and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to catch your weekly dose of health and wellness. If you found value in this episode, the number one thing you can do to support the show is to share this episode with someone who could benefit or leave a review. If you'd like to find out more about the online programs and services available at Health Pillars, go to healthpillars.ca and click Let's Work Together to fill out an application. I'd love to help you create your vibrant life.